Good morning. How are you? Good to see. I, they said I couldn't come up this way because I trip and fall, so I had to wait. Come up this way. Good to see you. Glad you are uh, here with us this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and take them out and turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 38 through 48 uh, this morning. And I um, want to say that last week was awesome. We got a, a chance to hear from Jeremy and all of his experiences from Indonesia and Pastor Matt and Chad and, and just a good time of, of, of trying to, to figure out missions and our role in that around the world. And so uh, just a great time last week. We're going to send a few people to Egypt, uh, another Muslim com- uh, country, not company, uh, country uh, that uh, here in April, and that's going to be kind of a look and see trip and uh, see what our involvement in Egypt might be there. So exciting things uh, happening uh, here in the area of missions at, at our church. Uh, but today, however, we are looking at a passage of scripture uh, that summarizes Christian ethics uh, pretty well. Uh, it, it also can be a, a passage that can be easily uh, misunderstood. And so there are several recognizable phrases uh, in the passage, like turn the other cheek. We've all heard that, or go the second mile, or love your enemies, you know, those kinds of things that, that, that even people that haven't stepped foot in, inside a church know those sayings, right? And so the question becomes, though, what do they mean? How do they apply to our lives today more than 2,000 years later? And though Jesus was referring to laws and customs that were specific to his culture, his words do in fact apply to where we live today because of the desire for revenge. It's as much of an issue today as it was for those living in the first century. And when somebody does something wrong to you, when when somebody takes advantage of you or bullies you, you want to get even. So as we begin to look at this passage, I want to start by taking a closer look at some of the statements that Jesus made that that are sometimes misinterpreted. Um, And hopefully this will put his words into uh, perspective this morning. First of all, he said in verse 39, do not resist the one who is evil, right? So that's kind of weird. Do not resist the one who is evil. Does this mean that I should become passive, that, that, that we should just let people walk all over us? Does that mean that I can do nothing to protect my life or the life of those that, that I love? I don't think so. When Jesus drove out the money changers out of the temple, he, he wasn't passive. And in fact, if you look at what he said in the original Greek language, you would be, you would be astonished, you'd be shocked. When, when Paul demanded that his rights as a Roman citizen after uh, being uh, held without a trial in Acts 16, he wasn't passive there. When, when Paul and Jesus encourages believers to confront those uh, who sin in order to help them find forgiveness, they're not encouraging us to be passive in the context of the word resist means 
retaliate. There are a few places, and this is one of them, where we better understand if we had a better translation. This really should be translated more like do not retaliate violently or do not get violent against. Jesus isn't telling us to be passive here. He's telling us what? Not to be vindictive. And then then another verse that oftentimes is misapplied is is verse 42. Give the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. And so does that mean that we can never refuse if somebody wants uh, a a loan? Like I, I have to do that. Or does it mean that every time we're approached by a homeless person on the street corner that we have to give them money? Now, now if the Spirit of God is telling you to do that, then by all means. I, I don't think we have to, though, because this commandment doesn't relieve us of our obligation to manage our resources responsibly. It is our responsibility to practice generosity for sure, but it's equally our responsibility to practice discernment. And so Jesus also says in verse 48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. There's another one for you. I mean, what on earth is, is meant by that? There's a couple of different ways you can approach this verse. One way would be to say that, that if we could be perfect, that is, we, we would never hate, right? We would never slander or speak evil against another person. We would never lust in our heart and, or in our mind. We, we wouldn't covet anything we would we we would never make a false oath and always be completely truthful we 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 would let god uh defend our, our personal rights and not take it upon ourselves to defend those rights right he would all or we would always love our neighbors and 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 even love our enemies if we kept what jesus said here we would truly have the righteousness greater than the scribes and Pharisees described in Matthew 5.20, the very thing that we must have to enter into God's kingdom. But there's only one man who lived that way, right? It's Jesus. And so then we ask the question, well, what about the rest of us? And what we have here is Jesus... And he was not primarily seeking to show what God requires of the Christian in his daily life. True, he, he has revealed God's ultimate standard. We must take that to heart. But his primary intent here was to say, if you want to be righteous by the law, then you got to keep the whole law. Right? you got to keep the internal and the external. And that is, you must be perfect. Then there's another way to look at this verse. Jesus told us to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. The Greek word for perfect there is teleos, right? It it means to reach an intended completion. It means to be mature. In other words, a person is teleos if he or she fulfills the purpose for which They were created for. In the context of this passage, Jesus is saying to you and I, be teleos. You can fulfill your purpose in life. You can demonstrate your maturity. And so you ask, how so? Well, in the context of this passage, let's just start by loving our enemies. Well, we'll just start there. 
But we're never more like Jesus than when we love those who don't love us. Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us, and while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. John said in 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. Being teleos, in the context that Jesus mentions here, isn't attained through sinless perfection. It's attained through understanding what Christ has done for each of us, and we start by loving our enemies. So today, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about how do you do that? How do you love your enemies? I'm going to give you four things. Go ahead and take your note sheets out of your program this morning, and we'll take a look at this. Number one, don't respond to insults. Verse 39 clearly says, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And what Jesus is talking about here is more than, than, than the physicalness of being slapped on the cheek because he specifies the right cheek and the natural way to, to hit somebody on the right cheek, if you're right-handed, most people are, would be with the back of your hand. According to rabbinic law, hitting a man with the back of your hand was twice as insulting as hitting him with the palm of your hand. So so Jesus is saying when this happens, don't return the insult. Don't retaliate. And Jesus' point is not that we should let people physically harm us, right? His point is is that we should abstain from trying to get even when somebody insults us. I don't know about you, but I can't remember the last time I was hit in the face, right? just doesn't happen. A few of you probably want to, but it, it doesn't happen very often. But I have been insulted more times than I can count, right? And more times than I care to admit, I've gone out of my way to what? Let's go at it, right? I return the insult. You want to throw down? All right. The problem is, is that it really doesn't do any good, does it? doesn't make me feel better. It doesn't resolve the problem and never takes away the hurt. In fact, the longer you hold on to the idea of retaliation, the more the insult actually hurts you. And you probably don't remember this, but way back in 1997, Tiger Woods won the Masters Golf Tournament. And at the championship dinner, another golfer that was there, Fuzzy Zeller, made a remark that he intended to be funny But reality, it was just really, it was mean-spirited. And Fuzzy took a lot of heat and criticism for his comments, and I'm not going to say what it was, because actually it was extremely racist. That's what the comment was. But what was interesting to me was Tiger's response. He simply said, we all make mistakes, and it's time to move on. Now, now, Tiger could have returned the insult, and the media would have loved that, right? To get a spat between these two guys going, they would have... Jumped all over that, but he didn't. He simply said, what? Let's just move on. And when we're insulted, that's probably the best thing to do. Solomon said, Proverbs 12, 16, fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlook an insult. Apostle Peter, 1 Peter 3, 9, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. 
So when you're insulted, you can either waste your energy thinking of ways to get even, or you can choose the alternative to revenge, right? You can be like your Heavenly Father, and you can just love your enemies. The, the second thing that we can do to show love is to do more than what is required of you to make things right. Moving on to verse 40, and if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. In those days, right, a man typically wore an inner garment, a tunic, and it was like a shirt that, that went to your knees. That's what a tunic was. And then they wore this outer garment, um, which was a, a cloak. It was kind of like an overcoat. And a man would probably own more than one tunic, but only one cloak. And a cloak was used as a blanket when you slept. And so in a legal dispute, a creditor could sue for his tunic, but not his cloak. That was Old Testament law, Exodus 22, 26, 27. If you ever take your neighbor's cloak and pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. For that is his only covering. And it is his cloak for his body. And what else uh, shall he sleep? And if he cries to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. So the only way a person could take your tunic is if you had pledged your tunic as a security for a debt and then didn't pay the debt. So so really what Jesus is saying here is that if you have a debt and you didn't pay it and you get sued, do more than what is legally required of you to make it right. In order to do this, you have to be willing to what? You have to be willing to admit that you were wrong, and you have to be willing to make restitution. It was the spirit of Zacchaeus, right? When he became a devoted Christ follower, he said to Jesus, Luke 19, 8, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone, I'll restore it what? Fourfold. Right? There's an example to follow. When we offend someone, right, and that offense is true, where we're in the wrong, what we need to do is more than what's required to make it right. So, so just take a moment this morning. Think about if there's somebody in your life that has something uh, against you. It could be something that you said. could be something that you did. doesn't have to be a money thing. Maybe you took credit for something at work that you didn't deserve credit for. Whatever that might be, whoever you have wronged, Jesus is challenging us to to make a full restitution and then some, right? To do more than what is required to make things right. And then I'm thinking, well, man, how humbling is that? Right? It's easier to love someone who has wronged you than to humble yourself before somebody that you have wronged. I mean, imagine going up to somebody that you are wrong and humbling yourself, especially when you know that they probably don't, like, especially appreciate you. That's a nice way of saying they don't like you. They hate your guts or whatever, right? Right? It is not easy. I'm not standing up here this morning telling you that this is an easy thing to do, but I am telling you it's a holy thing to do. And when you do that, you teleos yourself, right? You become like your heavenly father. Number three, treat mistreatment with kindness. 
Verse 41 says, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles, right? We all know this phrase, right? Go the second mile. You know the background of it? Jesus spoke these words in reference to a common custom in Roman uh, occupied places, right? Roman law said that a soldier had the right to make a Jew, to make a civilian carry their pack one mile. And I'm thinking, seriously? Right? You're doing your thing during the day and a soldier comes up to me. Look, you got to carry my pack a mile. Just drop everything you're doing and carry my pack. I mean, can you imagine? You're late to work. Dude stops you. You got to carry my pack. I mean, how long is that to walk a mile? I, I don't know. That's what? 15 minutes? I said eight minutes last service and I got this look like, are you crazy? Jesus says when this happens, instead of walking one mile, you should walk, go two. There's no greater way to show the love of God than to be kind to someone who has not treated you with kindness. And if you're working, you're at a job, I can't think of a better opportunity to put this principle into practice than there. You might have a boss who is a bully or tries to pull you down or takes credit for your work and what happens a lot of times is we get tempted to do this, right? We get tempted to do the bare minimum at our jobs, right? Just do enough to, to, to where I don't get fired. But, but what would happen if we went the extra mile? What would happen if you showed kindness to your oppressor? What would happen if your boss asked you for an extra hour and you gave him two? And then what would happen if you did that extra hour cheerfully and enthusiastically. What would your boss notice? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I don't think it matters. When, when you treat a mistreater with kindness, it may not change them, but I guarantee it will change you. Right? It will make you more like your Heavenly Father. Last one. Number four, don't show favorites. Verse 42, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. It's interesting that Jesus puts this verse uh, along with the verses talking about how we should treat our enemies. And I think he did it because in the context, we needed to hear this right now. Like most of us are are, are willing to be generous with with family members, aren't we? Like like if my kids come up and say, hey, can I borrow this? Or can can you you help us out with that? I'm like, sure, no problem. My daughter's here. She just heard me say that. Guess what? I'm going to get a list. <laughs> right? More, most of us are more than willing to be generous with, with, with those that, that, that we like. But that's not enough. Jesus is saying, don't be just generous with your friends. Be generous to everyone. Mark McCormick, the author of What They Don't Teach You in Harvard Business School, said this. He said, all things being equal, people buy from friends. All things being unequal, people still buy from friends. And for this reason, you want to make as many friends as you can. That, that, that's why that guy on the phone that calls you that you don't have a clue who it is, is trying to be your friend. Right? Because that's the way it works in the business world. But Jesus is challenging his followers to go beyond that. To be generous with those that you like and those that you don't like. 
And the principle can be applied way more than just to money. It applies to how we treat people in every area of life. And you may find at times an opportunity to help someone who's not like in your bubble. They're not in your area of of influence or your group or your people, as Matt uh, Halverson always says. There's my people, he says. Right? What an opportunity to help them anyway. And you might have a chance to help someone who's been unfriendly to you in the past. And then the point is, is that we shouldn't withhold our generosity from those who need it. Right? We help them when we can. Remember, Jesus is not commanding us to be irresponsible with our resource. He's not commanding, he's not commanding us to be stingy either. But he is saying, when it's within our means to help, then what? Then help. And Jesus is telling us to be generous to even those who may not fully appreciate that generosity. And in doing so, guess what? We become like our Heavenly Father. And then Jesus summarizes the section by, by saying this in verse 43, 43 and 44. You have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So Mosaic Law, right? It says this, you shall love your neighbor, Leviticus 19.18. But the scribes and Pharisees, you know what they did? They add the, the, the negative to that. They, they add this equal obligation to what? Hate your enemy. That's what they said. Jesus comes along and says, but, but I say to you what? Love your enemies. So, so instead, Jesus reminds us that all people are our neighbors, even our enemy, enemies. And to truly fulfill this law, we must love and do good and pray for our enemies and not only our friends. I think it's interesting that Jesus freely acknowledges, guess what? You will have enemies. Newsflash. Yet we are to respond to them in love, trusting that God will, what, protect us. And then he ends the chapter by saying this, 45, 47, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. And for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the sin? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? And when we are imitating God who shows love towards his enemies by sending the rain on the just and the unjust, you are never more like your Heavenly Father when we love those that don't love us. When we refuse to retaliate, and even when the other person is wrong, when you seek restoration for your own wrongs and you respond to mistreatment with kindness. Because he says, for if you just love those who love you, what reward is that? Right? The sinner does that. That's not being righteous or having integrity or being worthy. If we merely return the love that is given to us, remember Jesus is teaching us the character of citizens in his kingdom. And we should expect that character to be different than the character that we see in the world. Right? We're called to be different. 
Let's pray. Father God, thank you for uh, your word today. God, I want to thank you for your overwhelming love for us. Thank you for the Sermon on the Mount and the teaching that you have given to us on how to live godly lives. And we strive, God, to live in this world system. We strive to be more like you. I want to thank you this morning for your sacrifice and your forgiveness, your power, your strength and your leadership. God, thank you for doing for us what we could never do for ourselves, for cleansing us and making us pure, holy in your sight because of what Christ has done on the cross. God, we give you the glory and honor today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.